Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 63 of the Money Love Podcast. How was your Thanksgiving week? I hope it was good and it was just filled with amazing food and quality time spent with the ones that you love. So my Thanksgiving was fantastic. We stayed in town this year. Now that we live in Dallas, my parents actually just live five minutes away from us. And my mom is a fantastic cook. She makes the best Thanksgiving meal. So we were over there for Thanksgiving. We had a baking day on Wednesday where we all got together, me, my mom, my sisters, and we made treats and kind of finger foods to get ready for Thanksgiving Day. And then, of course, Thanksgiving Day was delicious and just got to spend a lot of good time with my family, my parents, my sisters, my brother-in-laws, my two precious nephews, Judah and Ambrose. Michigan beat Ohio State on Saturday, which honestly was probably the highlight of my week. I got my MBA at Michigan, and my husband grew up in Michigan. We lived there for five years, about 20 minutes away from Ann Arbor. We have season tickets. So we're just huge Michigan fans. And after so many years lately of losing to Ohio State, to pull out that epic win was just so bittersweet. So I also did some shopping. All pre-planned, of course, like we talked about last week, but I had my list of what I was going to buy. And I was able to go snag those deals, which was great. And pretty much everything I bought was either Christmas gifts for people or stuff for the new house that we are hoping we will be moving into next year, probably spring, early summer. But we went ahead and just bought a lot of new furniture because furniture is not cheap. And a lot of the places that we are getting our furniture from, we're having sales. So although we don't quite need it yet, we just went ahead and pulled the trigger on a lot of the new furniture that we're going to be getting so that we could get those savings. But then also, because everything is so backlogged right now, there are a lot of things that although we ordered them this past weekend, they probably will not be getting to us until we move into the house in four to six months from now, which is just crazy. So That was my holiday. It was fantastic, like I said, and I hope that yours was just as great. So today, we're going to be talking about a topic that, truthfully, I've been giving a lot of thought to recently, and it's a concept of emotional wealth versus material wealth. And the connection, or should I say the lack of connection that these two actually have to each other, which one is more important? Which one should we make the priority? And also, how can we make it the priority? Now, I'm going to give you my fair warning that we're going to be talking about some things in this episode that you might not like. (laughs) Okay. I just want to tell you that right off the bat. You may disagree. You may not see eye to eye with some of the things that I'm going to just offer to you in this episode because. It is going to be very contradictory to everything that all of us in consumer culture have been raised to believe, which is that our worth is tied to our net worth, that the success and the achievement is what we all need to accomplish to live a life of satisfaction and happiness, and that the only way to achieve emotional wealth is to achieve material wealth. That once you have all of the stuff and all of the things that you will be happy, content, 
and fulfilled. And I'll say this, at the end of this episode, you might be like, wait, this is a money podcast, right? And I just want to say, yes, of course, okay? We are here each week to talk about money. But part of my duty, part of my obligation as your money coach is to challenge the way you think about money, to knock down those limiting beliefs that you hold about money and the connection that so many of us have between material wealth and emotional wealth. Our belief that they are codependent on each other is truly one of the most damaging beliefs that we have. And it ultimately leads to so much pain and suffering in the world. And that is not what I want for you. So even if I have to tell you things that maybe you don't want to hear or that maybe are unpopular or contradictory to what we're constantly being served all day, every day from consumer culture, but it is going to help you and it's going to serve you in a more positive way. Like I said, I have a duty and an obligation as your coach to do that. So yes, this one might seem a bit strange today. I might say some things that you don't agree with, you don't like. It's a little bit different than what you're used to hearing in the money space, but I have just been thinking about it so much. It's been on my heart, and I just want to make sure each and every one of you has this message, especially going into the holiday season. So we're going to start by talking about material wealth. Material wealth is pretty much what you think it is. It's all the things that you can see, the outward-facing things. These are the things that you own. They're your possessions, your house, your cars, your clothes, your gadgets. It's also the amount of money that you have available to you, your savings, your investments. It's just the classic definition of wealth, right? What is it that you own and how much of it do you own? Specifically, money and all of the things that money can buy you. And then we have emotional wealth. And emotional wealth and what that means and what it is, it might not be as obvious to all of us. But emotional wealth, the way that I like to think about it is it's having a deep-rooted sense of peace and contentment in your everyday life without relying on financial means to bring you that peace and contentment. It means that we're able to live in abundance regardless of our financial circumstances, or rather than abundance, sufficiency. You guys know I'm kind of eh on the word abundance. But being able to live in sufficiency and contentment regardless of the size of your bank account. Now, here is what society, consumer culture, has programmed us to think about these two things. We all have, myself included, been conditioned to believe that there is a strong, positive correlation between the two, and that one is dependent on the other, specifically that our emotional wealth is dependent on the level of our material wealth. Like I said, we also believe that there's a positive correlation between the two, and many people go through life thinking that as their material wealth increases, their emotional wealth will also keep growing. Now, before I move on, I really want you to just sit here and reflect a bit, hit pause if you need to, but what is your belief pattern here? Do you believe that there is a positive correlation between your material wealth and your emotional wealth? Really think about your own answer and your own viewpoint here. And it's really important to kind of dig deep 
and realize the beliefs and the associations that you have here between these two things. While you're doing that, I'm going to share my viewpoint, what I believe the connection to be, if any, between the two. So I will say that my answer today is different from my answer five years ago. Five years ago, I had a deep-rooted belief that my material wealth was the catalyst for my emotional wealth. I remember just really being so stressed, so worried, and frankly, so unhappy because I wasn't where I wanted to be financially, or I wasn't where I thought I should be financially at that point in my life. And this is why thought work and the model has completely transformed my life, you guys. It's why I shout it from the rooftops. I always say, like, if I had only had the tools that I have today back then, I would have saved myself so much pain and unnecessary suffering. Because if I did have those tools back then, I would have realized that the amount of money in my bank account, my 20-year-old car that I was driving around that I was just praying wouldn't break down on me on the side of the road, the $100,000 of credit card and student loan debt that Ryan and I had, I can see now today that all of those things were simply just neutral circumstances that had no meaning. And I was in control over the meaning that I was going to assign those things in my life. And the truth was that those things did not create my emotional state, or should I say my lack of emotional well-being back then, but I really thought that they did. Now I realize that my thoughts did, my beliefs did, and all the pain and suffering was all self-inflicted. It was my own thoughts and my own brain that was creating so much pain and suffering for myself because of the way that I thought things should have been and also how closely I tied together my emotional well-being to my material wealth. So I know, I realize that this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but oh well, this is what I believe and you're here listening to my podcast, so I'm going to be honest with you and tell you what I believe. Today, in my heart of hearts, I believe knowing thought work, knowing the powerful tool that is the model, and having the realization and taking ownership over the fact that I am fully and completely in control over my thinking and beliefs, I really believe that there is no correlation between material wealth and emotional wealth. I really don't. I do believe that it is 100% possible and available to every human being with these same tools to have the highest levels of emotional wealth with very little material wealth. Now, here is why I say that. Happiness, joy, contentment, peace, all of the emotions that we could use to describe emotional wealth are emotions. And where do emotions come from? Emotions come from our brains, you guys. They come from our thinking, our beliefs, our perspectives, our constructs, and how we view and choose to interpret the circumstances of our world. You guys, emotional wealth comes from within you, not from anything, and I mean anything outside of you. And there are no exceptions to this rule. I promise you, there are no exceptions to the model. Happiness is a choice. It's something that you choose and you practice and you nurture. And contrary to popular belief, happiness cannot be bought. It is something that you cultivate hour by hour, day by day. 
And I know that that might burst some of y'all's bubbles, but happiness cannot be bought, at least not in the long term. Now, I've talked about this in a past episode, so I'm going to bring up this viewpoint again, okay? There have been all sorts of studies done on this to show scientifically that money can increase levels of happiness up until a certain point. And the famous study that so many of us have heard of and is quoted all of the time is a study that's done by a guy named Daniel Kahneman, and it shows that the magic number is 75,000, right? That past 75,000, there is no increase in happiness and fulfillment if you make more than that. And scientifically, why I think this study shows that is because that's probably around the point where like your basic needs are met and probably some wants are met, right? But then the study shows that anything up and above that doesn't really contribute to happiness at all. Now, here's my response to that scientific study. And again, this is just my opinion. I think that as human beings, we do have life circumstances where it becomes easier and more convenient for us to think positive thoughts that create happiness and contentment. And listen, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing and that we shouldn't strive for that. I'm not saying that we all shouldn't want to have our needs met. I'm not advocating that we make things harder on ourselves than we need to. So for the average person, does it become easier to think more positive thoughts that create happiness when your basic needs are met? Yes, it does. But here's where I get hung up. Is it a requirement? Is it an absolute? Do I really believe that every single person on planet Earth making less than $75,000 a year is doomed to a life of struggle and sadness and depression? No, I'm sorry, but no, I do not believe that. I believe that with the right tools, any human being with a human brain has the ability to achieve emotional wealth without material wealth. I do believe that to my core. Now, of course, the question becomes, okay, well, then not everybody has those tools. So how can we get those tools into the hands of everybody, which I wish I could solve that problem, right? It's kind of like asking, how do we solve world hunger? But That's also why I am trying to do my part every week, giving you guys these value-packed podcast episodes completely free because I do want as many people to have these tools because they've completely transformed my life and I know it can do the same for so many others. So yes, like I said, does it become easier to think thoughts and have beliefs that increase emotional wealth when you have material wealth? Okay, maybe yes to a certain extent. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's an absolute necessity. I don't believe that. Now, here's where I think people get confused. And if we're all being really honest and vulnerable with each other, I think we can all acknowledge that this is how it typically goes. At least this is how it goes for me. A lot of us think that material wealth and emotional wealth are so interrelated because we've had experiences in our past that we can point back on. And we can say, see, when I bought this or when I went on this trip or when I reached this certain number in my bank account, it made me feel better or it made me happy. And what I see for myself personally, and I've heard this from you guys, the women in my community as well, is that typically when our material wealth goes up, our emotional wealth goes up slightly, but only temporarily. 
So let's think about something maybe you've acquired in the past that we can use as an example. Maybe it's a car or a house. If you're a homeowner, think about moving into your house and how excited you were to move into that house. But how do you feel about that house right now? I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, but what I see with a lot of people is that you're probably not as excited about your house today as you were when you first bought it. In fact, a lot of people have already reached the point of discontentment with their future home and are already on to thinking about the next and the bigger and the better home that they want. If you're not a homeowner, maybe think about a car or a nice piece of clothing or a gadget, right? Your emotional wealth went up temporarily because you were thinking a different set of thoughts once you acquired it, and that is key. You didn't feel better because you got the house or got the car, got the gadget. You felt better because you were thinking a different set of thoughts than you were when you didn't have it, okay? But here's what usually happens. That same brain comes with you, and so does your old default thinking. And then, before you know it, once a little bit of time goes by, you are back to the same state of emotional discontentment that you were in before you bought the house or got the car or got the gadget. And this is the cycle of discontentment and thinking that the material wealth leads to emotional wealth that we all get stuck in, just constantly trying to increase our material wealth to achieve that emotional wealth. I've experienced this so many times with myself personally, and this is just further proof to me that the correlation between material wealth and emotional wealth is not as strong and it's not as positive as we think that it is. Now, emotional wealth and material wealth, it doesn't have to be an or situation. It doesn't have to be you have to choose one or the other. In fact, it can be an and situation. You can have both. And really, if we were to turn this into a matrix, right, there would really be four options here. So the first option is that you would have neither. You wouldn't have material wealth and you also wouldn't have emotional wealth. You wouldn't have a lot of worldly possessions and you're also emotionally pretty miserable, okay? That's an option. And we all know that there are people in the world living a life like that. Then there's the option, which is having little to no material wealth, but you have a high level of emotional wealth. So you don't have a lot of worldly possessions, but emotionally you are fulfilled. You're happy, you're content, you're at peace. And yes, if we looked, we could find so many examples of people living life like this, living this out where we could point to and say, yes, this option is absolutely possible. The third option is the inverse of that. It's having a lot of material wealth and low to little emotional wealth. Now, we could also find tons of examples of this. People with lots of money and lots of things, the house, the car, the clothes, and they're incredibly unhappy and unfulfilled. And why is that, y'all? Because stuff, money, possessions doesn't create your emotional state. Your brain does. Wealth is not protection against human suffering, you guys. If that was the case, then every single rich person and celebrity and athlete and CEO 
that we all knew would be incredibly happy. And we see story after story, example after example, where we can look to and we can say, yeah, that person is incredibly rich. They have a ton of material possessions, but they're absolutely miserable. And here's why. You don't just get to trade in your brain (laughs) when your material wealth reaches a certain point, y'all. It's not how it works. The brain that you have when you have $1,000 sitting in your bank account is the brain that you're going to have if you had a million dollars sitting in your bank account. Scarcity is a mindset. It's a state of being. You don't just switch from scarcity to abundance when you pass a certain net worth. You have to do the inner work to change. And changing the external circumstances of your world, namely your material possessions, it's not going to create or I should say it's not a guarantee that you will be able to be in emotional wealth. Now, I want to point this out as well. It's important to note that consumer culture does not want you to believe that options two and three are possible. They do not want you to believe that emotional well-being is possible without a bunch of stuff. And they also don't want you to realize that option three is available as well right? Because it's against everything consumer culture has been built on. They don't want you to know that there are people out there with all the material wealth and possessions a person can dream up, but they're emotionally bankrupt. But there are. There's so many people like that. Just spend some time reading TMZ or watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians or watching Selling Sunset, right? We see examples of this over and over and over, but still our brains try to convince us otherwise. Our brains are like, nah, they're not really unhappy. I mean, look at their house, look at her wardrobe, look at her car. How could she possibly be unhappy? They have everything that they could ever want or need. Our brains still try to convince us that it's true and that there's the correlation between the two. But again, there's not. Now, the fourth and final option is the and option. It's where you can have both. It's where you can have both material wealth and emotional wealth. Again, they aren't exclusive of each other. You don't have to pick one. It's an option for all of us to have both. But here's the important thing with this one. If you're going to have both, you're going to have to separate the connection between the two. You cannot create material wealth thinking that it's going to be the key to creating your emotional wealth because it's not. And when you have that belief, that is how you wind up like the people who have all the material things, but they're absolutely miserable. And you've seen so many people and celebrities say this, like, I chased the money, I chased the success, the fame. Now I have it, and I'm more miserable than I've ever been. Why is that? Well, I think a big reason is because they had this thought error. They had this correlation between emotional and material wealth. And then when they got the material wealth, they realized after a while that it didn't create the emotional wealth for themselves that they thought that it would. And then there's this moment of confusion and disappointment and almost like, a, well, now what? Like, I did everything I thought I needed to do to create happiness for myself, and I don't have it. So what am I supposed to do now? Y'all, my coach told me this one time, and it like, it pierced my soul. And I need you to hear this, okay? How you feel on the way there is how you're going to feel when you get there. This isn't how most of us think of it. We think suffer, suffer, pain, discontentment, be unhappy, then achieve the thing, and it's like a light switch. Magically, you'll just get a new brain and you'll be happy all of a sudden. If you are unhappy and discontent 
on your way to building material wealth because you think that it's not possible to be happy and content and at peace until you build it. I'm sorry to tell you, but you're probably going to feel the same way when you get the material wealth if you even get there at all. I think the biggest thought error that so many of us have, the biggest lie that we've all been taught is that material wealth leads to emotional wealth. And because of that, so many of us chase the material wealth at whatever cost in an attempt to make ourselves feel better. But what if we switched it? What if we started to believe that emotional wealth is the key to building lasting material wealth that we can actually enjoy? And it feels good when we get there and it feels good when we have it because we've been practicing it all along. What if all of us put our mental health and our emotional well-being at the forefront and we actually put as much energy into taking care of that as we do acquiring material wealth? It's possible, okay? I want to make this clear. It's possible to create material wealth with or without emotional wealth. Emotional wealth is not a requirement to creating material wealth. We've seen a lot of people create material wealth without having much emotional wealth. But then the question becomes, if you build material wealth without having the emotional wealth, what's the point, right? Like, why kill ourselves to achieve the material wealth if on the inside, once we get there, we're still empty and depressed and scarce once we have it? One thing I like to think about sometimes, and I can't remember where I heard this, it's a popular mental trick. I'm sure that you've heard it before, but it's just called the 80-year-old test. It's basically thinking about the 80-year-old version of yourself and thinking, would I rather have lived a life where I was happy, content, proud, at peace, I loved myself and I loved other people, a life where I was emotionally wealthy, or do I want to get to be 80? And just have a bunch of stuff. But emotionally, I'm just empty on the inside and incredibly unhappy. Now, again, in real life, we actually don't have to choose between the two. We can have both if that's what we want. But I'm just giving you that illustration to show you how important our emotional wealth is. Because I think that for most of us, we would choose emotional wealth when it really comes to the end of time, right? But then the question becomes, do we act like it in our day-to-day life? Do we prioritize emotional wealth like we should when we're thinking about it in that way? So what I want to do for the remainder of this episode is give you four principles that I think will help you cultivate emotional wealth. And I want to preface it with this. One of my personal beliefs about money is that money comes from value and value comes from our minds. That means that at the precipice, we create money with our minds because our minds create the value. And that's what people exchange money for is value. And so that's why I think that we should all prioritize our emotional wealth over material wealth. Because I believe that if you can take care of your mind, which then in turn will help you with emotional management and regulation, there is nothing that you cannot go out and accomplish, truly. And that's not to say that you should go out and create a lot of money and material wealth if that's not what you want. But I'm saying it becomes more of an option and more of a possibility when we do prioritize and bring our emotional wealth to the forefront. 
And the bonus is, is that if you do choose to create material wealth from a deep sense of emotional wealth, you'll actually be able to enjoy it and share it with others in such a more abundant way than if you created the material wealth from a place of emotional emptiness. Now, all of these tips I've given you before, they've been scattered around in previous episodes, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. I'm going to wrap this episode up, but I am going to run through the four quickly here. So the first is to know that your worthiness as a human being is 100% guaranteed. Your self-worth is not in any way tied to your net worth or to your emotional wealth. Just by being here on this earth, by breathing air, by living your life, you are already 100% worthy. And there is no human being that is more worthy than another. And worthiness is not inflated or deflated by our material wealth and by our material possessions. So I ran through that one quickly, but I just need each one of you to know and to fully accept your worthiness regardless of your material wealth. The second critical principle in getting to a state of emotional wealth is the acceptance of the fact of what actually creates emotional wealth. It's a knowing that emotional wealth is created from within and that it does not come from anything outside of you, especially our material wealth. This means that you don't link the two. You don't hold a belief that in order to be emotionally wealthy, you have to be materially wealthy. You also have the ability to manage your mind. And through that process, you have the full authority to live in peace, joy, abundance, regardless of your material possessions and wealth. It's this concept that's called being an emotional adulthood rather than being an emotional childhood. It's a knowing of where your emotions come from, knowing that your emotional state is created from within you, and it's never at the mercy of your material possessions or your accomplishments or success or other people. Now, the third principle, which is more of a practice than a principle of being an emotional wealth, is putting the management of your mind into practice and making it a priority. Because by making your mind and mental health a priority, you will make your emotional wealth a priority because the two are related. One is dependent on the other. Emotionally wealthy people are in a consistently disciplined relationship with their mind. And they know and they recognize the power of their thoughts over their mind and their body. Emotionally wealthy people have also learned emotional regulation and management. They have learned how to hold their uncomfortable emotions rather than reacting to them. They adopt, they practice, and they perfect beliefs and mental constructs that take them closer to where they want to be and farther away from that rinse and repeat cycle of living. So there's a quote that I love, Elle Sommer. She says, millions of people are seeking health, wealth, and love, and they are trying everything but the one thing that would make a difference, changing their thoughts. Okay, that's how important this practice is. Now, last, the fourth principle is that emotionally wealthy people recognize and they realize that happiness is a choice. And it's independent of what's going on in your external world. 
But they also recognize that just because happiness is a choice, it doesn't mean that you have to choose it 100% of the time. They are an acknowledgement of the 50-50 concept that life is going to be half good and positive experiences and emotions, and the other half is going to be not so good. They realize that they cannot control what's going to happen to them, the circumstances of their world, but they know that they can control how they're going to respond to them. And yes, sometimes that means that the best response is sadness when sad things happen, or it's disappointment when disappointing things happen. Even though happiness is a choice, it doesn't mean it has to be chosen in every circumstance. But it is knowing and acknowledging that you are in control. How you feel is never at the mercy of anything outside of you because it's always a choice. Being emotionally wealthy sometimes looks like choosing the negative emotions on purpose because you know that they are useful to you and they serve you in that instance. It's not about living in this land of toxic positivity where it just has to be positive thinking, happy-go-lucky all of the time, right? It's knowing that sometimes things are going to suck and sometimes you're going to feel sad and you're going to feel down and that's okay. Nothing has gone wrong. It's all a part of the journey. You don't need to resist the negative emotions because actually by not resisting them, you're actually able to move through them and process them quicker than if you resist them and you act like they shouldn't be happening in the first place, right? Emotionally wealthy people realize that being happy isn't the ultimate end goal. Being human is the goal. And the human experience is 50-50. And weirdly, acknowledging that there's pain and suffering in the world makes the pain and the suffering a bit more bearable because we can expect it, we can almost welcome it in, and we can process through it. Now, the last thing that I want to say, because this is a money podcast, I know I told you you might be a little bit confused at the end of this one, but yes, although I believe that we should all prioritize our emotional wealth over our material wealth, that doesn't mean that I don't think that you shouldn't care about money and you shouldn't think about it and you shouldn't want to take good care of it. I want both for each of you. If I was to choose for all of us, I would choose that and option, that we all have emotional wealth and material wealth. And yes, creating material wealth does require you paying attention to your finances, you managing it in a responsible way, you not using your money as a form of buffering. So this episode is not to say that you shouldn't care about your finances anymore. Of course not. But I do hope that this episode has challenged you and you have begun to see the importance of your emotional wealth. And you see now why we have to start prioritizing it. Because what it really all boils down to, when each of us reach the end of our time here, it's really all that's going to have truly mattered. The last thing I want is for any of you to get caught in the painful, an untrue thought error that I myself was in five years ago. I wish I had somebody to tell me five years ago the things that I'm telling you right now, that page. Five years from now, all of your debt's going to be gone and you're going to live in a bigger house and you're going to have a nicer car and your net worth is going to be tenfold what it is now, but you're not necessarily going to be any happier today or your capacity for happiness isn't going to be any greater 
then than your capacity for happiness in this very moment. I wish somebody had told me that. But I do want to say this. Even if you're here listening to this episode and you still don't believe me, it's okay. Because I do think that even if somebody had come and told me that, I think that there still would have been a part of me that didn't believe them, (laughs) right? That would have been like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll see about that, right? And I do think that sometimes these life lessons of knowing that these correlations that we've all been taught isn't true is that sometimes you just have to experience it yourself. Past life experiences tend to be the most powerful and potent teachers that we have. And trust me, I am never here to say I told you so, ever. But if you are in a place of disbelief about that there really is no correlation between the two, I want you to know that that's perfectly okay. Again, five years ago, I was right there with you. I don't really know if I would have truly in my heart of hearts believed that until I have experienced such a drastic growth in my overall wealth and material possessions. And I realize now I'm not any happier today than I was back then, or my capacity for happiness hasn't grown at all. Truly, the thing that has created the most happiness and emotional wealth in my life are the tools that I teach you here. It's the management of my mind. It's knowing what creates my emotions. It's the acceptance of the fact that life is half great and half bad. But even in the times that are bad, we don't have to make it mean that something is wrong with us or wrong with our life or that anything has gone wrong. Those are the concepts truly that have been the most life-changing for me and that have created the most happiness peace, contentment, and emotional wealth for me, which is why I feel so strongly like I have to share it with all of you. So to wrap up this episode, I want to read you a short excerpt from the book, Soul of Money. You guys know this is absolutely one of my favorite personal finance books, Lynn Twist. She talks a lot about this concept of material wealth not necessarily contributing much to emotional wealth. So she says this, Rarely in our life is money a place of genuine freedom, joy, or clarity, yet we routinely allow it to dictate the terms of our life and often to be the single most important factor in the decisions we make about work, love, family, and friendship. There is little that we accept so completely as the power and authority of money and assumptions about how we should feel about it. We challenge assumptions about every other facet of life, race, religion, politics, education, sex, family, and society. But when it comes to money, we accept it not only as a measure of economic value, but also as a way of assigning importance and worth to everyone and everything else in the world. When we talk about success in life, money is almost always the first and sometimes the only measure that we use for it. She then says, our deeply held values, our commitments, and our ideals is what I call our soul. And what deeply matters at the core to human beings, our most universal soulful commitments and core values, is the well-being of the people that we love, the well-being of ourselves, and the well-being of the world in which we live. All right, that's what I'm leaving you with this week. Again, I know that this episode might have challenged you a bit, but I really appreciate you listening. I hope that you all have an amazing week, and I will see you next Tuesday. I love you all. Bye. Hey, girl. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in Overcoming Overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three-phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money, and your spending will be controlled purposeful and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's 100% risk-free. You have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.